Welcome, everyone, to episode 50 of Caster Calls with Zombie Grub and kind of the uh, the cool, I guess, 50th episode. We have Day 9 himself. Hello. Which, uh, I'm very excited about. Um, obviously, uh, a big big fan of your work uh, as a StarCraft II commentator. You're one of the first guys that I was I was watching and listening to. Yeah. Uh, we finally got to work alongside each other once for the TSL broadcasts. Is that is that actually it? Because yeah. I don't know. That, like, uh, tell me this ever happens to you where I feel like I've met people or worked with people or interacted with people for years, and then they go, "Hey, it's nice to meet you." And I'm like, "What?" Because I mean, I've seen you at like a million one events and stuff. And I don't know. It's like my brain just like has this trouble where it, it like does not understand when I've actually done something directly with a person. You know, because you see every you know everyone broadcasting all the time. That's true. That's very true. I, I don't have too many of those. Obviously, I have the times where I'm like, oh, my God, we actually have never met in person before. I think that happens a lot where it's just like we haven't met in person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but as far as working, you know, it's funny. I actually get that from a lot of the other StarCraft 2 commentators, which I just take as like a, a positive thing. But they're always like, yeah, I remember in 2017, kind of eats. And I was like, no, <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, you, you weren't you weren't there. <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Um, anywho, so it's obviously a, a pleasure to have you on. Um, everyone, you know, talks very positively about your your casting as well. Uh, there are going to be some people, perhaps listening to the podcast, that don't quite know who you are, or maybe aren't as familiar with your actual casting career since you moved on to kind of like a multimedia empire type situation. Ooh, um, oh yeah, yeah, so wonderful. Yeah, no, we 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 recently at the Castle Age with Empire. I'm very excited about that. So ah, yes. yeah, see the AOE Forge. There it is. Bam. Yeah. Uh, so we do usually start off with how you got into esports, which I know for you is going to be a, a bit of a story, but uh, oh, I'm gosh. absolutely pleased oh, to hear yeah. it for straight from your lips. <laughs> well, I, gosh, I mean, it's kind of funny because I, I, my brother and I got really into StarCraft 1. Like, I was in, I think, sixth grade. Nick was in seventh grade. And I mean, at that time, the whole notion of even playing multiplayer like the the internet was new, right? So Nick and I literally we had a cord. Um, my brother's tasteless, by the way, and you should all watch him. He he's the caster of the ASL and the GSL, most powerful caster of all time. Uh, sorry, Dan. Um, you know we we would literally get a cable and plug two computers into each other, and that's how we first actually played multiplayer StarCraft. And a lot of the games back then were irredeemable jumbles of trash, right? Like I mean. The, the whole notion of an interesting, rich multiplayer experience, it was like not a thing. So we did the usual playing of various Dreamcast, N64 games, you know, Turok 2 and stuff like this. But StarCraft was the one that we always came back to, always came back to. And pretty early on, like 1999, 2000, we, if you just keep playing all the time, you start to stumble across chat channels. You start to stumble across information about where the good players hang out. And it was really kind of interesting at that time because, again, there's no social media at all. There's no way to learn about anything. So what you would do is you would just talk to people after you GG'd. You'd be like, GG, where'd you learn that? Oh, I played against this person over here in, in Clan X17. Like, oh, what's that? Oh, it's where all the good players hang out. You know, you would actually use the public join to, like, find matches and stuff. So from there, really early on, maybe in... Yeah, probably around 2000, we discovered the amazingness of the OSL and MSL in uh, South Korea that had all, you know, the televised StarCraft 1 matches. We fell in love with Guillaume Petri, aka XDS Gur, who was like one of the very first pro gamers who moved to Korea and won an OSL. And we just started playing and watching from there, which then led to 
again, as the years go on and new games keep coming out and the internet infrastructure is getting better and people are no longer on 56K modems. Whoa. I mean, that was like a real issue whenever we'd have like, you know, go to someone's house. Like, Do you have a 56K? You only have 28K? <laughs> Trash. We can't, we can't go over to your place. And then like you get that one friend who actually gets cable internet and you just like f- impose yourself on them. <laughs> right? We had those kind of friendships. You have good internet. Let's bring our computers to your place and play online. Um, and yeah, I mean, literally starting from right then, we were playing a lot in StarCraft Brood War and this transition into going to tournaments and competing every year in WCG. Um, and I mean, at this point, I'm realizing I just, I mean, I can, I can literally talk about this forever because it's the greatest time of my life. But please direct me, Zombie Grove. It started <laughs> right, long yeah. ago. Started long ago. Yes. Um, you know, you you were basically kind of like a semi-pro. Uh, it's hard to say that, you know, Brood War pros outside of Korea were were pros, I suppose. Um, yeah. Very strict definition of the term. You made money. Okay, fair enough. But um, well, like $60 a month. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I was like the number one player in North and South America. Yeah. And, you know, you get like 50 bucks <laughs> right, <laughs> a yeah. month from a team or something that maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, where I guess uh, I have like legitimate questions, I, I, as I said, I know a lot about this, but, yeah. um, you know, you, you were stuck on that. You were stuck. You were playing. You were a great pro gamer. Um, you would. Yeah, you said you were one of the best. So there's an infamous you know, video out there where Artosis lost you and then, you know, mm-hmm. Tasis lost. And then that was actually coincidentally that same video where he went and talked to the guy and was like, can I cast? And that started his career yeah. um, in that direction. But I'm actually a little fuzzy on how you started your career in the casting direction as well, since you didn't go to Korea oh, yeah. to cast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nick immediately began doing this, like, you know, the entire StarCraft community recognized everything that he did. You know, he was, like, doing amazing work, and I just, like, lost in the group stages at the, <laughs> the WCG final. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, it, it's kind of weird for as fresh and brand new as the whole notion of casting and esports coverage was. My brother was like one of the first. So it's like, I have like a really easy reference that I can like ask about and like talk to Nick and like learn about his experience. And it uh, sort of getting into casting and commentary almost happened by accident. So, you know, there were, I was super involved on the team liquid forums, just like, you know, going in live report threads and like watching what was happening and like typing with reactions and stuff like this which then led to Team Liquid having a few events where it was like audio only, where the person was supposed to like watch via this link. And then me and a few other people would like provide an audio link and you could like tune into that. Like Team Liquid organized some of that in like 2007. I started to record a few podcasts about like my thoughts on high level Zerg play and stuff. And then when I went to grad school, I found that I just like didn't quite have enough time to keep playing starcraft and feel like you know you're at the same level because i feel like starcraft is one of these unusual games where i have to play a few hours a day to feel like i'm not atrophying like i'm not getting worse just to maintain the same skill level which is very different from something like a card game like magic the gathering i don't feel like oh i'm not dexterous enough to play the land or something like that but starcraft always required a ton 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 of practice and i kind of impulsively said i don't know why not just kind of like talk about the strategy of the game, not necessarily do commentary and play by play or anything like this. But, you know, my my joy of playing was connected to the strategy side of things. So if I can get that fixed via the broadcasting. Maybe, you know, maybe that'll be kind of fun. 
And it was also during this weird transitional period in my life where I, I studied math in undergrad, and then I went to an interactive media program, which is basically a game design program at USC. And I, I just wasn't sure what I even wanted to do with my life. So I just started doing a bunch of projects. I like worked on a, a game with one of my friends. I was uh, working doing educational um, research games to teach kids about fractions, doing work with UCLA. And um, doing the Day 9 Daily was another one of those projects. So I just would fire up a game from a recent pro match, you know, full screen a YouTube video, record it in like absolute garbage quality. This was in 2009, this, this started. And then from there, a mysterious sort of cascade of things all happened at once. Because in 2009, there was no Twitch. YouTube was only a few years old. The whole notion of esports, it didn't even have a, a decided upon name. We all call it esports now. Different communities called it different things back then. Competitive gaming, you know, um, pro gaming, esports. These are all different terms and esports, I guess, won out. But um, at that point in time, you had to pay to do broadcasting. So I had to pay a platform like 30 bucks a month or something. And there was a cap to how many people could tune in and watch live at any one point in time. And so all of a sudden, in early 2010, there it suddenly became not just inexpensive to broadcast, but you could now earn money for doing the broadcasting instead of having to pay excessively for it. A lot of the platforms like YouTube used to have a hard ban on gaming content, and all those got lifted. Um, and then StarCraft II came out. So it was just like this weird, bizarre convergence of things, which then led to you have companies like ESL, they want commentators for a tournament. Hey, is there anyone that does commentary for this? Oh, this guy? Hey, do you want to like come on out? And I was like, oh my God, yes. And I mean, I, I think I did it for like virtually no money. <laughs> like took a serious financial loss going for 10 days to, to Europe. But I mean, it was amazing. It was, it was awesome. And then again, another tournament comes along. Hey, who does commentary for this? Oh, well, there was one event and Apollo and Day9 did it. Let's, let's ask them if they want to do it. And it's sort of like, it almost happened a lot by a sheer number of coincidences that I didn't really have that much control over. You know, this just huge surge of tournament interests and StarCraft 2 and streaming and all this stuff. So that is, uh, that's, that's my story. There it is. I think, I don't like to really hit an ending. I just kind of like to stop. So I think we'll just stop <laughs> there. There you go. Yeah. A couple of interesting points I had no idea about. I didn't know that YouTube used to not like gaming content. That's interesting. Well, yeah, no, because people would upload like, seven hours of them playing world of warcraft sure and it would get like four views per video and it was actually really challenging to store that much data back then especially with a sort of high recording fidelity because gamers were always right. trying to like push the limit of how big and high fidelity and large file sizes were so, so that was an interesting point the 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 pre yeah the pre twitch pre twitch era uh i know a little about but basically the pre justin yeah. tv era that's oh, where yeah. I'm completely, uh, completely gone. And most people don't know about Justin TV at this point. But anywho, so you, you know, kind of a typical story as far as, as, far as a lot of esports stories, like you kind of fell into it. That's yeah, that's yeah. not um, too difficult to believe. But you were just kind of there at the beginning to fall into it. Oh, yeah, which yeah. Which is why it's fascinating. So you said that, you know, you had tasteless kind of to, to look at a little bit as far as what the standard for commentary was, which is yeah. kind of a really cool thing that you can say, like, there's this, there's basically an OG. And, and DJ Wheat, I suppose, oh, came yeah. in and, and talked about how he also, um, you know, was 
one of the first for, for real, real. And anyways, I, I, I would consider DJ Weed number one. Yeah, anyone before yeah, DJ Weed doesn't do. count. He's he's the first. He's the original. <laughs> and I mean, I remember in 2010, 2011, when I got the opportunity to meet Marcus and you know did some work with him. I mean, he just he just knew everything. He knew everything. I mean, even today, Marcus, he still knows everything. And I mean, I think for a lot of the guys there, especially, you know, I, I, I personally relied on Marcus a lot for guidance. You know, how do I talk to a sponsor? How do I talk to a tournament organizer? You know, like uh, there's a, I'm having a tech issue. How do you fix it? You know, Marcus just knew everything from the business to the games to how to present to just even little things about routines at events, because, you know, What's a common thing that a brand new caster does at their first event? They get overexcited and they burn themselves out after one or two days. And then their voice is completely ruined. Marcus, how do I not ruin my voice after one day? How should I treat myself responsibly and not like, you know, even doing something like having two beers the night before a broadcast? My throat's going to be dry and scat- scratchy. I shouldn't do that. I should, I, should, I should save the beers till the final day, you know, things like this. I mean, Marcus, I think, taught me a great deal. Right. And it was amazing hearing him talk about it almost like nonchalantly, uh, where he was just like, yeah, I, I kind of knew these things and, and I would help out other people. Um, but going back to one of your very first events. So we're yeah, talking yeah. about a first event where it's still it's very close to being in your basement um, casting StarCraft 2. Like there's not the lights in production that we know about now. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. But still, you know, it's the first time you said you went to Europe. Obviously, that's a big deal. You're getting paid, even if it's a really small sum. That feels like a big deal. Uh, what was your expectations going into it did you do any like studying did you do any broadcasts like studying did you did you just go like oh i'm just excited to be here did you talk to apollo beforehand was there any prep involved or was it really just like oh i'm here let's do it gosh that what what great questions this is this is where i start to sound really irresponsible if i begin to answer (laughs) (laughs) i mean the the answer is a mix of no not at all or maybe it's kind of that's all I was doing all the time, right? Like, because, you know, when it comes to, I mean, even today, I, I don't even really feel that much like I am a commentator. I don't view myself through that lens. I just really, really, really like StarCraft. So, you know, I'm talking to my friends about StarCraft all the time. Even still today, I'm watching ASL 13 and texting my friends that watch it. and We're just having conversations about it. And so I think that one of the things that was really nice about that event is that it it felt very, very natural. It felt very like, um, yeah, I don't know. You, you, it, 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 yeah, it's every single day I'd be going live and just talking for two hours. And there's a real difference with live streaming compared to traditional media, where if people don't like what I'm doing, they will tell me live right there in the channel and I will watch my viewership go down. Early on in the dailies, I'd be like trying to tell stories I thought were funny. Be like, oh, yeah, this funny thing happened. I tried to deposit a check at the bank and my viewership would drop by like 400 people in three minutes. And I'd be like, oh, guess that story fucking sucked. <laughs> like, all right, I guess I'll figure out what to do differently there. So I think that um, this, this is completely different from any television broadcasting, which is very like, okay, sit here. Okay, stand there. Okay, ready, set. Action. Okay, say some stuff. Okay, we're done. We're done. That was 30 seconds. That was good. Okay, sit down, rest. Let's just your head sweating. Let's let's dab that off. Okay, get back up there again. I'll talk for a little bit. There's really no opportunity to even see what the reaction of people is or what's going on with it. And I remember when I um when I first started going to those events, 
I was still in my grad program and I was going to focus on like making a game for my final year thesis project, but literally doing the broadcasting was causing so much interruption and so much travel. I went and said to my school, I think I have to drop out because like, I don't think there's any way I can physically do both of these things. And they were like, just make the live broadcasting your thesis. Like the, the, the program is interactive media, right? That's the, and this is a highly interactive form of entertainment. And I was like, oh, okay, great, great idea. Very good. And from that, when I started to actually do research um, and I started to speak to radio broadcasters and NBA broadcasters and stuff, like, what is it like? What are lessons that you can impart? And it was really interesting. The, the type of advice that they gave was completely different from how anyone in esports did anything and how live streaming works. Like one of the biggest pieces of advice that I heard again and again and again is don't talk about yourself. No one wants to hear about you. No one tunes into the radio to hear the DJ be like, hey, everyone, there's a song coming up. But, oh, you know, I've had a kind of a long Wednesday, so I'm hoping you enjoy it as much as I do. Like, no one cares. Just play the song. And that just didn't feel correct for how modern live streaming works. But even then, back in 2010, how that sort of stuff works. So, I mean, I guess I guess I did do some research, but... I mean, a lot of it was just if you spend all of your time with this gaming community, there's sort of a familiarity with the tone that actually makes sense inside of it. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's the stop of that one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Again, uh, it, but it, I mean, it was, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, it was a, a lot of very good points, but it kind of, you know, when you first, your first sentence saying that you kind of were, a mixture of not prepping at all, but then constantly prepping, I think is actually describing a lot of people's esports careers. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, obviously, like, you know, it's it's all well and good when you study. I, I do try and, and do the the study materials, bring in the notebooks, you know, the, the real try hard thing. But if oh, my yeah. co-casters don't in StarCraft, it's not like they're they're lazy. Basically, we all live StarCraft so much that even yeah. if Roddy doesn't write down a notebook of build orders, the guy yeah, knows he's, it. He's so. probably live right now. Like he is, he's probably yes. casting some ESL cup. <laughs> he's probably still building Phoenixes somewhere. Like, you know, it's, it's, I think one of the more interesting um, differentiators of a lot of gaming and esports compared to traditional acting, traditional broadcasting, where often you'll have someone who is just brought in that just does not have any core subject knowledge about whatever it is that they're talking about. You know, if you um, think about something like take, um, I don't know, CES, like just a general consumer electronics show, where you'll have like someone who's on a stage presenting about innovations in refrigerators. This is not someone who's passionate about refrigerators, right? Thinking about refrigerators has different kinds of fridges in their house for different purposes. Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, but you know, with, with a lot of game type stuff, it's not a product. It's like how you live your day-to-day -day life and what you center it around. Like I have had so many experiences where when there was a tournament that I was really excited about, resetting my sleep schedule to get up at two in the morning and just watch that or to go to bed at six in the morning after watching it, you know, like you yeah. don't do that with refrigerators. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I, I think that, um, th I think that, yeah, yeah. Your comment about like, yeah, no, no, no Starcraft casters lazy. It's literally kind of like all they're doing all day is thinking about and talking about and working on this. And it's almost like, yeah, how many hours a week do you spend on Starcraft? I mean, for a lot of Starcraft commentators, it's like, I don't know, how many hours are in a week? That many hours, right? Like outside of sleeping, basically, that's that's what you're doing. And right. I think it's what really makes a lot of the the commentary that you'll hear from esports commentators feel much more rich and more personal than a lot of what, you know, when I'm watching an NBA game, the sort of commentary that's there.
Yes, definitely, definitely. But it, you know, I was also talking to other people who have uh, more experience in um, traditional sports, and you know, one thing that always gets brought up is that the pacing of it is is vastly different. You know, the pacing of yeah. individual traditional sports can vary, but the difference of traditional sports and esports commentary is huge. So yeah, soccer yeah, yeah. is different than than golf, but um, doesn't compare to the difference of soccer to to StarCraft two or something like that, or even Rocket League, oh, yeah. really. Yeah, I'm, I will say one of the funny things from watching it, like um, NBA broadcasts early on when I was doing broadcasting is realizing just how many different ways they know how to say that this guy put the ball into the basket. You know, yeah. there's like a thousand, and he lays it in from downtown and up and in, right? It's just like a thousand different ways. And I try to be like, okay, how many times are they going to repeat themselves in this broadcast? And the answer is none. They never do. There's always a different way to say it. Mm-hmm. And that's actually really still why traditional broadcasting can be something that you look at, right? So, uh, you know, I know Rocket League, I I literally just talked to a guy in Rocket League, and, you know, they they do, their game mimics more of the pacing where they would also agree, like, yeah, you don't really have time to talk about yourself. We tried that, and the audience was like, what are you doing? Um, So we leave it for the analysis test. I was like, oh, that makes sense. But StarCraft, there's so many long lulls that if you can't be comedic and entertaining, then people are going to be like, well, let's, I'll I'll wait for something interesting to happen. StarCraft commentators are hilarious. I think StarCraft has far and away the funniest commentators, like like bar none. I mean, because th- th- I mean, so much of the game is the st- like StarCraft is fundamentally like a storytelling game. Like, oh, the story of my build is that I'm going to go for <laughs> I'm cats and I'm going to build four hatches before I build my spawning pool. And how does that actually shape the story of the game, which is very different from you know something like an Overwatch, where like the the actual line of where the card is going to go is fixed um, or something like a counter-strike where the, the purpose of each round and the goal is very fixed. There's very little that's fixed in Starcraft. And I think that due to that, the nature of the game being very storytelling, storytelling driven, a lot of the commentators just naturally communicate and think in that way. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that perspective on Starcraft two in particular. Uh, obviously the pacing is different, but yeah, the fact that it's, it's a bit more of a storytelling uh, type of game and i think that also does mix in the idea that starcraft is one of the hardest games because people will say that oh, yeah, but impossible. then they'll also say that it's really hard to cast uh as well um and that could possibly be a, a reason but um yeah i wanted to bring up another point about traditional broadcasting though so you talk to a bunch of traditional broadcasters and they you know some yeah. of their advice is really wonky like for instance i know when i was reading a book on it they're like make sure to update the score and i was like that's never gonna happen in starcraft i'm just like yeah, disregard yeah. that for the most part um because yeah, they were like every five minutes i'm like well that's not gonna do it no. um but they you know you you notice you yourself notice the amount of uh variety that they have did they mention anything else about kind of the mechanics of broadcasting you know did, did you get taught by them or by someone else for instance to like use your diaphragm or you know how to hmm. inflect or anything i guess more on a technical skill because i think that's absolutely something that we share with traditional broadcasting yeah i, I mean my, my sort of behavior pattern in all of life is just let's immediately begin to do it and do a terrible job. Great. We suck. What, what's, what's like one specific thing that I think sucks about how I communicate. Okay. Let's see if I can find an answer to that. So, I mean, a lot of, at at no point did I ever sit down and go like, I wish to begin broadcasting. So how do I control my voice? Um, there would often be like, times when I would just feel myself talking in the middle of a story. And it's it's a really weird experience. I actually recommend every single person just 
stare at a specific camera on their computer. It doesn't need to be on. doesn't need to be doing anything. But just talk for 15 minutes. You just get like so many weird feelings, right? Where, for instance, I will stop sometimes and I'll be looking up like this. And, and then right now I realize that nothing's happening because I've stopped talking. How do I, how do I keep talking? How do I keep filling? And so, you know, I might watch something like stand up or whose line is it anyway to just see like, how do they fill time? How do they fill time when nothing's happening? Oh, okay. I see. I see. I see. There's patterns that they're doing. Let me try those patterns. And then I would just try it when I'd be broadcasting and go, okay, that feels a lot better. That feels really good. Or if someone was, you know, one of these broadcasters were talking about various rules and, and principles for how they think they should communicate. For me, it's really hard for me to ever just take someone's thoughts and thunk it in my head. I need to have my own understanding and context and problems first, because, you know, one of the things that um, one of the broadcasters said that I thought was like, was brilliant is he said, you want to close the, the gap between you and the viewer. So don't speak to them in an impersonal way. Say you. Just say you. You is how you want to refer to the person who's listening. Um, don't say, hey, guys, guys, if you want to do this, hey, chat, chat, check this out. You know, that is slightly impersonal, which sometimes is actually useful. But I mean, you went through this, this spiel about different ways of making more or less personal. So maybe if you're talking about... Um, you saw some people on Twitter being bastards, right? And you want to talk about that. Well, you want to put it in a, in a very othering sort of language because you're talking to you. You're talking to the, the people in chat, right? Or the people who are watching live use you there. But like, oh yeah, I don't know if you saw some of those people in places on Twitter. You can start to put in more distancing phrasing. And this is a way to help manage a personal relationship with an audience of people who consists of a huge variety of, uh, of different people. Whereas if you, if you start saying chat, chat this, chat that, or hey, our viewers, I'm sure many of our viewers at home think these are the kinds of things that in a small way over a long period of time can feel um, distancing. And so like, okay, when I, hear, when I hear that, immediately brings up all the like the millions of times I've had trouble articulating a way that I want to communicate something like that's yeah, I think I'm going to wind up repeating myself at this point. But yeah, no, I, I, like that's I, I always need that problem statement that I can slot something into for mm -hmm. for any sort of bit of advice. It sounds like a very simple piece of advice, but I, I personally have never actually never or if I have heard it, I've already forgotten. But I feel like I infrequently hear it at the very least. And yeah. I think it's also one of those things where maybe it sounds really insignificant. Most people would say like, oh, it probably doesn't change that much. But as you said, yeah. if you kind of got it in your brain, you can say like, well, how do I change my perspective? And um. Another example of that was that I was getting tips from a professional broadcaster and he was talking about interview yeah. tips. And he said, you know, whenever you're asking questions, always, you know, ask a, a W question or how actually it was what, when, where, how, how, you know, that type of thing. And it sounds oh. super simple because it's a, it's a question. That's literally what English yeah. languages use. Use a question. But every time that I would have trouble being like, well, I don't know exactly how to formulate this or what exactly I want to ask. Yeah, I'd yeah. always go back to that. So it's super, super simple. but if it's in your brain, it's surprising how much it can help you coordinate your thoughts. I guess because it's like a fixed yeah. point that you can go back to. Oh my, and your comment about how like, it sounds simple, but it can be like so hard to just do. I mean, it. it I, I find that maybe it's because I, I grew up playing StarCraft and my brain thinks of everything through this lens, but it's like in StarCraft, you generally do your thinking outside of the game and then you do your execution inside of the game. And just because you say, all right, I should never stop building workers. I should never get supply block. You don't just whip up a supply block free game like that. Um, and 
yeah, like that. That's actually great. I really like that. I've, I I feel like I've heard that, but I didn't fully digest it. And I remember when I when I started doing um, I, I started a show called Funday Monday, where I asked people to submit games of themselves playing StarCraft under ridiculous constraints. And StarCraft is not just a perfect game for this, but it almost feels like the only game where you can really do this. Like it's hard to do a Counter Strike Funday Monday because that game is so rigidly structured in a good way. I don't have any. I mean, Counter Strike's like amazing, but. Um, I, I found it really hard to do like the, just the 90 minutes of improvisation around ridiculous games. And it was a mix of improv and, and um, preparation. So I, I took an improv class to try to just learn how to, how to do that and maybe hopefully help with some of the issues I was having with fun day Monday. And one of the things that um, the, the professor said there or teacher or lecture, I don't know the title is we'll say professor improv. Um, he talked about that if you are um, working with someone in, in an improv scene, a good technique is to always base what you say off the last word that they say. Just wait till the last word in the sentence and respond to that specific word. So if someone's like, hey, it was my mom's birthday, so I went to Target and I bought her a birthday card, right? Okay, card was the last word. Oh, what kind of card? Do you normally buy cards for people on their holiday? Like there's, that's much more natural than like, oh, it was my mom's birthday. So I went to Target and bought her a card. I prefer Walmart to Target, right? Like there's something intuitively that feels weird about that second example. And I mean, he just went through like 20 rapid fire examples talking about how this is a really good way to connect in conversations. And wow. I mean, that's another one of those things that I, I, I too found like really helpful in interviews where like, because it's so easy, dude, it's so easy when you're on stage and you're interviewing someone, they start to answer and then and then you just tune out. <laughs> you're just they're talking and I'm like, all right, all I'm doing is following your head and trying to make sure the microphone stays <laughs> under your chin cuz I don't know if you know this, but like, all right, so here's my lint roller. Um so normally you have to hold a microphone like this. This is how you talk to someone. Right? You you literally like touch it to your chin. So you're you're right there. And whenever you're interviewing someone, you want to hold it to their chin. And then they want to back away. So you like keep driving the microphone at them. And you're just like in there like, uh. so I mean, like, that's what I focus on a lot. When I'm interviewing. I'm like, what were you thinking in game three? Like, st stop moving, stop fucking moving, stop moving. Right. And you're, you're like chasing after them. And at some point, I don't care if you are, if you are as in the zone as you've ever been, you will absolutely tune out at some point when you're on stage. And it's like, oh, fuck, how do I get back and focus? Oh, my God. Like, I literally remember being at a, a magic event. And I asked a player a question and he was talking and he was, he was like really into this answer. And then he stopped. And all of a sudden I realized, Oh my God, it's my turn to talk now. Oh my gosh. Right. And that's, what's really helpful about like note cards or about like thinking about the, the sorts of questions you were mentioning beforehand. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, it's, it's kind of interesting how many like different techniques from different places your brain will glom onto that become mm -hmm. essential for how you communicate when you're on stage. Yeah. It's another thing I've never thought of, but while I've never been in an experience where I've used that to help me, that does immediately spring to mind some of the awkward conversations I've had with people, and I could never quite determine why it was yeah. awkward. You know, it's almost like when your English teacher writes awk, and you're just like, oh, well, okay. It's like on your sentence is awkward, and you're like, uh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I just like, I would be like, that was a bit weird, but let's move on. And I guess it's it's that where they're just like, I told a story and they chose this one thing in the story and that's where they like branched off the of it. I was like, yeah, that wasn't the point. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah. 
Because it's, it's not like a non sequitur, right? It's it's just like, I think lithium is an interesting earth metal. And it's like, oh, I was talking about birthday cards. So, you know, whatever. Like, um, it, it's like semi-connected. And it's right. like, why does, why does that kind of feel weird? And, uh, you know, that's I, I use that every time I was with a new casting partner. Because people have different casting styles. People, you know, like to focus on different things. And if you just wait for what is the last word that they said and what is the tone that they ended their sentence with. Because if someone ends a sentence kind of goofy like this, you don't want to be like, well, let's head into this absolutely death-defying round where everything is <laughs> on the line. If they're goofy, respond goofy and then kind of pull it back to the tone that you want. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. That goes into kind of the matching energy that uh, I yeah. think a lot of a lot of up-and-coming commentators have actually understood. I, I've worked more with new commentators who are, who are very new, like, and they think mm -hmm. their game is like the newest thing ever, specifically Valorant. You know, they, they know Valorant and they don't know anything else about the history of esports <laughs> broadcasting. Um, but I'm always amazed because, you know, one thing that's become different in the last, I'd say, like a couple of years is that people actually know what a play by play versus color is, um, as opposed to yeah. always getting them reversed. And then, yeah, they'll, they'll talk about matching energy, you know, and these kind of yeah. feedback calls we have. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think I would have heard that five years ago. But it's, yeah. it's something very important to make and sure that your co-commentary close and on that note i hate the delineation between play-by-play -play and color i <laughs> yeah. i can't stand it okay <laughs> because in the history of broadcasting the general idea of color commentary versus play-by-play -play commentary is the idea that there would be someone who was familiar with tv broadcasting understood how to talk uh connect with an audience but then they don't know anything about the specific um um game or thing that they're doing because i mean if you look at like the way that broadcasting might work for something like okay let's say there's a big poker event right there was the big poker boom that wound up happening but let's actually rewind back to like the 90s or something like this before there was this huge explosion in online uh poker there'd be someone who'd be brought in to do the play-by-play -play for poker and then the next week they might be doing you know horse racing and then the next week they might be doing something completely different um and so it was a really important role and identity and skill to have oh, we need a play-by-play -play commentator. We need someone who's good at not knowing anything about the specific sport, but who could be good on TV. And so this, this role existed and people would just become accustomed to this. Okay, who's, who's an expert in this space? Who's pretty articulate? Okay, they're the color commentator. Let's bring them in. Um, and I feel that when you look at the way that a lot of modern esport ecosystems work, you can't really do any commentary about a game unless you really know the shit out of that game. Like, you really can't. I mean, like, I, I've done... I mean, e even take Magic the Gathering, that I, I play a lot, and I would consider myself familiar with it. I mean, still, I feel like I do not... I, I would need another two, three years to be able to competently do regular commentary for that sort of game, because there's just so much history and know-how and, you know, consideration that goes into the analysis, even outside of the playing itself. And so I feel that like, you know, especially in StarCraft, that is that challenging of a game. Really, both commentators are good at play by play and analysis like you you, you kind of need to be. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the, the modern esports commentators, like you're saying, for, for, for a newer game like Valorant, I feel like they intuitively know this. They intuitively get or like the Rocket League commentators are just spectacular because the action is happening so fast. If you're not able to be hype and you're not able to ride the ebbs and flows of the action in that game, it feels weird. You know, if if any of those commentators went on the kind of tangents I go on, such as right now, 
like it would be horrible, right? And they, but they can just plug into that. Oh, there's a little downtime. Okay. And I happen to be talking so I can give a little bit of analysis and boom, right back to it. And I think that it, it really kind of represents a, a shift in the way that broadcasting works where it's not necessarily the, the annual, you know, lumberjack games or whatever they were called, where like once a year, there'd be this period of time where it would happen and it would be on ESPN. And then it, that would be it for the year. Like, Yes, it's technically not as as much money as is going in and out the door in modern esports as would be for certain television broadcasting channels. But you could be someone who does analysis during the week and then does commentary on the weekend, you know, and this sort of thing. Um, I, yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting difference, and I'm so thrilled that like so many modern commentators get this intuitively. They get when it's time to be hyped. They get when it's time to talk about the detail work of the game. It helps that there's a lot of reference points at this stage in time. Um, yeah. Previously, if you were just working off of the idea of well, traditional <laughs> broadcasters know what they're doing, then you're, you're going to have yeah. A, yeah, very, very weird sounding broadcasts actually for esports. Um, oh God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> e- even something like Rocket League, where it does uh, so like the pacing. Actually, a guy I was talking to says it mimics hockey more than it does soccer, which is always the oh, the, the go to. Yeah, and he, you know, he brought up a good point. He said because there's you know even to the fact that there's um there's a there's a stage there's a there's a rim that you can bounce off of that doesn't exist in soccer, it exists in hockey. And oh, I was like, interesting, right? Oh, never thought about that. You know, I, for for whatever reason, hockey is always the game that winds up getting talked about in on the esports business side because for some reason it's this it's like the first big hurdle a game comes up our league is now bigger than the nhl like (laughs) i have seen that in so many presentations so many decks oh yeah we're doing great do you know they're bigger than the nhl you know and this sort of thing (laughs) and like of course nhl i think has been like growing in popularity so so it's like edging back out it's like damn that nhl we have to chase (laughs) after that that's what you do I didn't realize, actually, I, I hear a lot of people uh, compare. Well, I mean, Starcraft scenario, right, where you get compared to tennis a lot. Um, and I was surprised to hear that anyone in the scene actually watched tennis. Apparently, Pig does. But uh, <laughs> and then we, you know, our fans get compared to like golf fans um, or a circuit yeah. or something like that. But yeah, I was talking about it. Like, yeah, I guess I do hear more and more NHL and it, I guess it does help that it's getting more popular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's all the reason that he always, you know, it wasn't just like the rim thing, right? It was the idea that it was nonstop. There really is no stopping. There's no like waiting for the guy to to do yeah. something. It's always constant. But anywho, Super so high intensity, yeah. You talked about, you know, your little rant about color versus play by play, and that you you love that people pick it up intuitively. Uh, yeah. I do agree. I think most people that I talk to, they're like, yeah, you know, you hear that there's there there's push and pull on who's who, but you know, for the most part, we have to kind of cover each other. That's yeah, yeah. nine percent of esports. Uh, but when you were getting into broadcasting, did you find any part of it uncomfortable? Did you have to match the hype guy, uh, Husky? I guess right, talking about the old days, oh, and boy. then kind of oh, like yeah. say like, "Oh yeah, I can't, I can't go that far. I don't know what, what I'm doing with my voice." God, I, did I find? I found, I found all sorts of shit challenging in my twenties. You know, because I think that like, I, I think the really the the hardest thing I dealt with is, is I sort of, you know, would, I was the sort of person that would deal with, okay, so I'm, I'm going to use the word failure in a broad sense, you know, like, I don't even mean the big way, like, I spent seven years working on something and I failed. What does it mean? I mean, like, literally, like, getting a B on something you were trying to get an A on. Or I'm trying to win this unranked game of big game hunters, right? Like, things like this, I I would 
always deal with it by trying to push myself harder, by trying to do more, by trying to escalate. Like, oh, I've been losing. Well, I'm going to train longer than anyone else. I'm going to start getting up at the crack of dawn and training with, uh, you know, Koreans instead of, you know, just doing it around my class schedule. I'm going to make this work. Right. And I think that um, like with any sort of either emerging field or just in you know business in general, there's infinite work to do. If you want to do more work, you can do more work. Um, and I mean, like in those early days, like I, I first of all, I mean, I was a lot. I, I would like bring like a, a ton of energy. Um, and I think that I had a lot of like judgment to myself. A lot of those in a lot of those early days where like if I was doing commentary and then ran to the stage to do an interview and then ran back, which was super common, like as a brief aside, there was no green room. There were no multiple casters. It was often, you know, like if I take that very first event where it was me and Apollo doing the commentary, it was me and Apollo doing, doing everything. There was no desk. There was no break outside of, we'll be back in five minutes. Okay, run to the restroom, run back, you know. Um, I mean, I even remember doing commentary of Nama versus Mana, an amazing final game. Um, I literally had to like run from that area onto the stage or when Huck won a dream hack. I remember running to the stage to interview Huck after having just commentated Huck. And I mean, like, so naturally, well, you're going to make mistakes and do a shitty job anyways. But like, I'd be like, oh my God, I did a terrible job. I can't believe that I would not properly interview that person correctly oh god you know and and you know if i was not matching my co-commentator's energy or if i was messing with the flow i would you know i'd I'd beat myself up over it and you know a lot of times this just led to me struggling to sleep at events or feeling judgmental afterwards and you know it was it was and again it's easy to do this because there's infinite work and when you're receiving infinite comments on social media and on forums you're like okay how do i make every single person happy you know um I found that really challenging, man. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was terrible. You know, on the on the topic of uh, so many events, because, you know, set the stage, this is when the schedule was incredibly crazy. This was when people saying downsizing <laughs> is healthy was actually correct. Like <laughs> yeah. MLGs, IEMs, DreamHacks, Red Bull events, uh, Asus Rogs, like, I, I don't know what else. Everything yeah, else. Every um, weekend. Yeah. WCS before it was the thing and then after it was the thing. Like just so much. Um, did you ever, you know, and we'll get into, you know, real conversations about dealing with emotions and stress in a second. But sure, sure. did you ever kind of like have one event where you're just like, you're like going through your head. Oh, that sucked. That sucked. That sucked. That sucked. That sucked. Okay, well, I'm going to do better next weekend. Did it ever help you? I mean, in mentality wise, or actually just as far as practice goes, that it was such a crazy schedule that you could always say, well, there's always next weekend. You know, this is one tournament. Maybe no one's really going to care about next weekend's going to help. Literally the first time I've ever thought about that is you mentioning it right then. Oh. <laughs> like, no, I mean, like, the, it, it, I don't know. It's kind of. Again, I feel this is a this response is a really good representation of like, you know, where a lot of that unhealthy perspective of mine came from back then. Because, I mean, you know, the the um, some of the pressure came from just generally I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I like pressure and I thrive in high pressure environments. Um, But another part of it is that one thing that you learn in business, but in entertainment especially, 
you don't make money per year. You make money this year. All you know is this year. You know, if I if I say worked in IT and I'm earning however much a year. I say I earn that much per year because if this job goes away, there's a lot of IT jobs out there. You know, I'm not saying you just snap your fingers and get a job, but there is a market that has consistent wages and there's a lot of hiring that goes on in this area. At this stage, no no one was even really making that much money. And so is this it? You know, is is this, you know, th- there wasn't a sensation that you could take a break. And again, I, I, of the pie charts of, of motivations behind the sentiment, you can't take a break. You have to keep going. Again, a good portion of that was that unhealthy perspective that I think I, I I put on myself when I was younger. But I still think that it was true that, you know, like if, what if, what if I am not at every single StarCraft tournament and I say yes, no matter what, what if I don't do that anymore? I know the answer now, which is that you're fine and everything's totally okay. But like, yeah, but shit, you know, what if, what if all of a sudden I, I, th- this ends for me and this is over? What if the viewership drops? What if, you know, all, all sort of what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. And I remember that, you know, during those early days, there was a lot of stress and pressure among commentators of who would be casting the finals. Because mm. that's obviously going to be the highest viewership moment. And I mean, there's only one set of casters that can do it. I think MLG did something really smart, which is that they just let all the casting pairs cast the finals and they just shared that all the streams were live. Whoever you want to watch, we're all casting because we all love this. It's going to be great. I don't you know that. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, again, it was it was like a, it was a huge topic of conversation, you know, um, because this could be the thing that translates to you being able to work next year. You know, like, let's say, you know, I was the commentator of the finals of a really big broadcast. If you're someone who's not that interested in, in a specific game, but you're trying to start your own league, maybe you work in TV, you're trying to understand the space. You go straight to the finals. You don't watch the round of 16 match with two players that both got knocked out immediately. You want, you want to see, because in the finals, those are the best players, and those are the commentators who are doing the, the job and that sort of thing. So, you know, uh, there was that feeling of, what if I miss an event and that's the opportunity that would have let me push forward? What if I go home and I'm tired after an event and I don't want to do a broadcast and then someone starts, you know, they, they just halt watching me forever because I, you know... <laughs> They were starting to get into my content, but then I like turned off for the week, you know, and, and, you know, coming from like a math background, it was really interesting to try to like generate data and understand and sift through and try to look at that. But um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there was an immense amount of pressure then. And I think there's still an absolutely immense amount of pressure. I mean, there are people, uh, you know, commentators who are great. They're perfectly competent. They're excellent at what they do, but it just so happens that, they wind up not being hired for a season of something. And then when the next season begins, the people that were operating that league left, new people came in and they're just working with the same roster and all the familiarity that this caster had with the old team is gone. It doesn't matter. Oh no, that's it. And I mean, that, that that's more than just esports. That's like entertainment. This is why, this is why, <laughs> this is why everyone does some form of podcasting, right? <laughs> be it a literal podcast or like I stream five days a week. Right. Because it's like, okay, I can at least have this thing that is mine. Um, 
I mean, it's like, what was that onion article? That's like each week, 300,000 Americans started a new podcast. Right? <laughs> like, Cause it's like the only form of stability because mm. there's so much volatility at the large scale organization level. Yeah. So that was wearing, weighing more on your minds than anything else at that point. Yeah. And, and not even in a particularly clear way, because, you know, if, if I say something like, okay, like here's something that I think every streamer should do. Um, how much money do you make per broadcast in terms of subscribers, in terms of ad revenue? How many new people do you think start watching you and keep watching you? You know, what is the probability that someone buys a shirt? 1%? Oh, okay. Well, maybe you add $8 to your, your evaluation, but this will start to actually give you a sense of how much money each broadcast is actually worth. And so therefore, if someone says, hey, do you want to come work this event for four days? And you go, huh, four days off my stream. I know exactly how much that is. Oh, okay, cool. I'm comfortable not attending that event or I'm comfortable not streaming in order to do that event. Because I mean, a lot of what I had was this almost existential, like if I if I don't keep doing this, this is going to fall apart in a week. You know? Yeah. And it's funny because it hasn't really changed all that much, no matter what the frequency mm -hmm. of events is. So you're talking about a time where there were so many events and you'd say, well, wouldn't that be about comfortable? 30 weekends but, a year, yeah. Uh, that's still a problem with the CSGO guys, apparently. They also feel like they cannot say no to an event and they're constantly on the road. They're constantly yeah. doing everything. Um and when there's like a 20 you know, person broadcast and they don't get invited to that, they still feel really bad, even if they're on another 20 person broadcast. Um, yeah. It's, and then it's so hard. Yeah. Obviously now when it's less, uh, you made a great point about how, you know, what if things shift as far as who hires, then suddenly it's just like, well, who did the last one? Because we're not going to keep up with the, the day to day. So it's obviously a lot of stress um, yeah. and yeah. something that we know about. But it's also funny that you bring up finals casting. Um, just because it's it's that's a complete 180. <laughs> so the whole like getting stressed is still pretty much the same. But as far as the finals casting, I don't know if you've you've heard about it. I've I've talked about it on my stream a little bit, but um no one wants to cast the finals. No one wants to cast the finals ever. Dude, I mean, like I remember being at Blizz because I remember BlizzCon was one of the few times where Blizzard actually went, huh, what's healthy for human beings? Oh, not having just two guys casting from because remember the dream hacks that I did with uh, it was me, Apollo, Mr. Bitter and Total Biscuit. It was 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. Four days in a row. I mean, that was it. That was it. Right. Like, it was just like ridiculous. But like, I, I remember it at BlizzCons and, uh, you know, someone's like, all right. Uh, OK, so you guys, your last broadcast is going to be the round of eight. And they would just be like, fuck, yeah. Woo! And I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Right. Like, because. You know, you it, when when you're in survival mode, when your body is just like, okay, okay, okay. It's not it's not that I make money per year, and in fact, I don't even emotionally feel like I make money this year. I make money this weekend, so we got to give it our all, right? When you're in survival mode, you're so pumped full of like adrenaline and focus and caffeine that I, I think it's it's like hard to even realize what toll it's taking on your body. And then when you finally get a little bit of a breather, you're like doesn't matter if i cast the finals yeah it's fine i'm fine <laughs> like you know you get those like 20 person broadcast teams where sometimes people be like hey we were gonna have you do these but we had to cut those events we had to cut those things entirely so uh you guys need to cast two matches and that's it and they're just like mm. <laughs> yeah 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 oh it's so funny especially because we get paid day rates which you know a blessing and a curse some you know depending on how long the day is um oh yeah but uh 
yeah, you know, I, I know Roddy, like he's been like, I've done like a billion finals. I just, I just like relaxing. You know, I can just chill and, and watch the games mm-hmm, and it's, mm-hmm. it becomes, you know, it, it, it is unfortunate because I feel like it's still one of the most, let's say like honor to be very cheesy, but it's, you know, I'm like honored to oh, do no. the finals. Yeah. But yeah. it is also that coming with so much uh, responsibility and stress um, that that would be a reason as why I wouldn't really want to, because yes, people pay attention to who does the finals. It's still the burning question who is doing the finals, even when, yeah. you know, uh, the Starcraft 2 community, we've had the same casters forever. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, that's a whole other thing. Cause I know finals discussion actually is still so drama filled in other esports. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah. we're, we're already so, so almost, almost out of time actually. So I have a couple of, um burning questions for me and then i'll get into a patreon question hell yeah but uh so this is a very vague question so i apologize but you know we did kind of touch on it a bit lightly a couple of times yeah what do you think makes your commentary so inviting you know so you you brought up the whole like they or you conversation i thought that was a really good example of it but people always say that you can just come on a broadcast be funny, be chill, be relaxed. And then people will just love kind of listening to the sound of your voice and the way that you describe oh, events. So and nice. I'm not, I'm not trying to fangirl. These are like, these are things I'm pulling even from other people, whether I agree with Sean, them or not. I don't agree with this, but this is what people are saying. Like, uh. I just want to make sure you don't you know. No, but like, I agree. Cause I'm always like, I'm always wondering, right. There's always kind of like an X or Y element to people, right. I can look at the technical skills. I can look at the, the knowledge skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's, there's the, the X factor. And, you know, you seem to have one of those X factors. I think a lot of the OG commentators in Brood were had this X factor, right? Like you in control, Total Biscuit, Artosis, Tasteless. Like I always yeah. call you guys larger than life. Um, but what is your perspective? What do you <laughs> as, think as of? As well as being large in general. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray for quarantine food eating. Yeah. Um, right. But what, well, what do you think makes it so inviting? Okay. Okay. First of all, it's a very nice thing to say. And thank you. Um, and and you know when uh, I, first a, a a tangent answer and then the actual answer, which is that you know when 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 you say those sorts of comments, something that I think a lot of um, maybe audience members will probably not realize is just how little communication comes in that direction, because it's not like when I'm broadcasting the finals, I'm reading chat. It's not like when I'm at work at an event that I'm constantly grinding social media. I am there at the event, right? Like if I'm like, you know, say at a magic event where I was just like introducing player A and player B, and then I go into the back, I watch the games. Because, I mean, most of the time, the games will end, Becca will do an interview, and then it's maybe back to me to do something in between. But sometimes the internet goes down. Sometimes there is a series of matches that end so quickly they need to fill. So there's always this sort of contingency thing where you got to be focusing, you got to be focusing, you got to be like engaged in the event and you go back. And then when you're done, you want to kind of disconnect from everything. So again, you don't go on social media, or at least I don't. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of funny how little, at least positive remarks, the average broadcaster hears. <laughs> Sean, there's a huge issue where people think that this thing that you're doing is bad. I'm like, all right, I'll stop. Like, <laughs> But I mean, um, so, so first of all, thank you. That feels nice. But, you know, to try to answer the question, like, where, where does the invitingness come from? I mean, I, I, when I was really young, I wanted to be funny like my brother. And I still do. Still look up to my brother a lot. Like, um, and, and Nick has, has this incredible ability to just be really naturally funny. 
he, he just like even, even when he was like extremely young, he could make everyone of any age just laugh. And I wanted to be like that, but I didn't, re- I didn't really know how. So I would watch tons of stand up comedy routines and try to memorize what they what they said. And then I'd go to school and I'd say that and then people wouldn't laugh. So then I'd like go back and rewatch and be like, OK, but what are they doing with their tone? OK, let me see if, if I do the, the tone a little bit and then I'd go back to school and say to someone different and then they would laugh. And so I, I spent a huge amount of time as a kid just fiddling with my tone. And when when you've already you've already probably gotten the impression that I obsess over things and go go really hard on things. So, you know, I would um, always be like if I was saying a joke to someone, be like trying to really judge how they were reacting to and feeling based upon what I was saying. How do I change my tone in order to do that? Um, so I mean, I, I, I just spent a shitload of time just thinking about what's my pacing, what's my tone, when, am, when am I raising my voice and when do I lower it, right? Like when, and, and, and what, what effect does that cause? And I think that, um, oh, oh no, my train of thought, hold on, hold on. It's going to come back to me. Hold on. I had something good. I was, I was definitely going somewhere. <laughs> hold on. We're going to take a sip of coffee. It's coming back. It's coming back. Mm. I think, I think more than, than anything, something that is really, really important to me. Um, is I want people to feel comfortable and feel accepted because you know I was bullied a ton when I was a kid. You know, I, I, the, the scary bully would wait after school and beat me up. You know, and 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 there's that feeling of like alienation that you'd get when you'd be like at lunch and people would be saying mean things and laughing at you and it wasn't clever enough to come up with a comeback. You know, and and, and I really hated that feeling and I I really I'm very sensitive to that if I can feel someone looking excluded, feeling excluded, something like that, you know? So a lot of where I would take those sort of tonal thoughts and tonal lessons, I, I would apply a lot of that to how, how do I make someone feel comfortable? What's, what's the tone that I should do? And how do I, how do I adjust how I'm communicating? And I think that there, there's good things that can come from this, you know, good things like that, that allegedly inviting feeling that I have when I'm talking, right? That's, that's very deliberate. I want, I like communicating in that way. And even even from a selfish perspective, I think RTS games are amazing. And I want someone to feel the excitement, not to judge them. Oh, you're an idiot. You don't understand how cool it is. Or not in a rejecting sort of like, look, it's my thing. If you're not interested, cool, whatever. No, I want you to feel how pumped I am about the thing. And I think that um, there's that benefit. But, you know, again, coming back to what I was talking about when I was younger is that I, in in some cases, I would work so hard to try to not be, or, or to try to come across pleasantly, um, that I I felt like shit during a lot of those broadcasts. But I sounded cheery, you know, which on one hand I am proud of and glad that I did. But on the other hand, I think as a healthy human being, you need to say, okay, how do I just make sure that I'm not disregarding how I'm feeling? It's one thing to not take your feelings out on someone. And there's another one to deny yourself the ability to even spend time with that negative sort of feeling. So um, a pile of thoughts. And a lot to break down, too. There's a lot of of, of great comments in there. Um, so so I guess, first of all, you know, we talk mm-hmm. about how to improve broadcasting a lot. That's the point of the podcast. 
But I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that they kind of purposefully thought about being inviting or or bringing people in, right? Some people do it naturally. I think, you know, some yeah. of the br- best broadcasters who aren't best on a technical level are the the nerdy, passionate guys who clearly just really love what they're talking about, yeah, right? And they don't yeah. think about it. They just they just love it. So um, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, yeah, I, I wanted people to feel that, you know, they, they might say, I want to feel excited. I want them to ride, you know, the waves of my voice and, you know, play by play, yeah. I think is big on that. Um, but just the idea that you could, you could improve feeling inviting. You could improve the, the feeling that people yeah. get from your commentary, I think is, is a new sentence, brand new sentence on this podcast. Um, Woo-hoo! <laughs> I mean, and then even a little bit more on that, if I may, um, the, you know, I think that a, a lot of that wish came from not just those experiences that I talked about, you know, being bullied as a kid and not wanting someone to feel that sort of way. But also, you know, I, I pretty much just played StarCraft Brood War for like 15 years. It's like the only thing really that I did. Um, and so there's there's there can be that feeling of loneliness that I think some people feel when they have a particular game or a particular passion that they're so into. But I mean, StarCraft, especially StarCraft Brood War, it, it's so abstract, even what the game is, you know, where the, the whole notion of someone who is really good at moving a large army, because for some reason in this game, you can only select 12 units at a time, despite the fact that Zerglings are built two at a time. Like, it's ridiculous when you say it, but there's a real beauty that gets created and it's it can be so hard to get someone to to connect to that. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time in high school just feeling very isolated with respect to that hobby. I mean, I'm really grateful that I had a brother that I could speak to about it a, a lot and, you know, found friends who were interested in, in the competition side. And then this sort of grew in college where people would be like, oh, yeah, tell me about StarCraft. And I, I liked college way more than I liked high school. I thought college was actually like was terrific. But when you have um, people that are like, oh, yeah, tell me more, you know, you from a personal level, you you want to feel like what you're doing is cool. You want to feel good. So how do you communicate that? How do you not make the person feel incompetent for not knowing what it is? Which is something people do all the time. Oh my God, you don't know this baseball player. Oh my God, have you been living under a rock? Is that going to make the person you're talking to excited to listen to you anymore? No, fuck no. It's going to make them want to <laughs> never bring stuff up to you again. You know. So I think that I got a lot of practice with that in college. It's a good practice too, because you know a lot of the situations you're bringing up. I feel like I would have, I, I had the opposite reaction, and then it's, it's been a process for me to come out of that shell. Where like you brought up being bullied, and not knowing what to come back with. I remember my brothers would do that to me, and I was, oh god, I couldn't, I couldn't use my words. Basically, it's been a big problem, and why I loved mm-hmm. broadcasting so much. Because at some point, I realized I learned how to use my words. I learned how to communicate yeah, because yeah. I like talking about StarCraft, but um. You know, you went with the path of like, you know, I kind of want to, you know, figure out the positive way to this. I kind of went like a negative path where I was like, if I'm cool and aloof and indifferent, then oh yeah, <laughs> then, oh, you know, yeah. I'm cool. Um, but same with like, you know, if someone is is like, so explain video games, and you know, you could have the person that kind of is like, oh boy, all right, so you yeah, know, here's the thing, Kill or you me. could have, <laughs> yeah, we could have the person that's like, okay, here's the thing, you know, very excited. Um, and then I think it's really important also, you brought up that, you know, you want to connect to something that's, that's difficult to, to really understand naturally. Yeah. And it gets huge for esports because not only is there the emotion that's included of like how frustrating 12 unit control can be, there's yeah. literally the, 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 the TV screen in front of you. That's, that's, that's different, right? Like you can't yeah. feel a basketball 
and then know what a basketball player is kind of feeling like when you watch them. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. A, it's not, you know, tangible. So that's a really important aspect of esports commentary is making sure that even when people are like, I don't really understand why that was difficult. Right. But right. I think I get it. Um, is really important. And the last thing about that uh whole uh <laughs> topic is that you brought oh, up that you really wanted to look into comedy and I think yeah. a lot of people know the thing about actors, right? Where a surprising amount of comedians become fantastic actors. Yeah, and yeah. I never thought about it in the context of, of broadcasting, but it makes sense. You, you, the way that you described it, you were like, I wanted to see what people would react to when I said these things. And I realized yeah, yeah. that this was how they get to react. And that's, <laughs> it's kind of acting. <laughs> You're kind of being an actor. Oh, um, yeah. But why, oh yeah. An imitator. Why comedy can be what I think is um, actually is a common quality of a lot of the best broadcasters that I can think of anyways in StarCraft 2 oh, yeah. is that all of you guys oh, are yeah. so funny. Um, so there was the, the, the filling of the lull points, which is obviously very important. But then there was also just the way that you could invoke people's emotions was fantastic. It's classic. And I feel like oh, yeah. we've been chasing after you guys for a while. So I used to ask, like, <laughs> how do you get funny? You know, that's that's my big question. How do you get funny? And you Dude. were, I think, one of the few to actually break it down. Dude, yeah, you just literally, you just repeat after other people, man. Yeah, I don't know. I, I in a, a lot of ways, I don't actually think I'm as funny as much as I just like have a good memory. And I'm constantly just like plucking things out that I've I've heard. Oh, I know this will get this reaction. Like plop it down. Um, but there's a lot of guys there who are just like, just not, they just know how to yes. weave their way through. And I think it's something that's also really interesting about watching comedians and rewatching the same joke again and again and again and again, and then trying to repeat that joke to a classmate and kind of failing and kind of rambling a little bit and then finding your way back to it is you realize just how lean and efficient a lot of comedians are there. There's just such precision with the words. And I think that, I mean, I, I I'm no stranger to going on incredibly long tangents. It's probably no surprise that I really like Eddie Izzard as a comedian, <laughs> but like, um, I think that, that that is something that if you watch really good stand-up comics who are really precise with their language, and then you watch, you know, say Nick and Dan giving commentary, you just see that precision with how they speak about something where I'm like, ooh, yeah, I would have taken like six minutes to say that thing, and they took 20 seconds. And yes, maybe there's some details that got lost, but like they hit the heart of it just right away um, mm. that I think is really, it's really interesting to see uh, players. It is. Commentators too. Yeah. And you brought up, you know, you can, you can have just have a good memory or people are really um, succinct. And I think that's that is really what makes a lot of great broadcasting moments in particular yeah. is when someone remembers something kind of clever, because I do think that that there's a lot of memory to it. I've I've legitimately gone into broadcast events um, and part of my prep has been memorizing sayings, you know. Just like, uh, yeah, uh, which I can't think of right now because, of course, I'm derping. But you know what I mean? Like, no, sayings, I know, ways, <laughs> ways. I know to, that feeling all too yeah. well. Look, I yeah. memorized it, but just not for now. OK, it's for, <laughs> for when I'm live during a broadcast. Yeah, exactly. But ways to summarize something in a short way is a lot of what sayings are. Yeah, um, yeah. So at the drop of a hat, you know, is a saying that I'm I'm trying to to communicate. Um, so I'm saying fast, but I say it in a new, interesting way that was still yeah. very short. Um, and so you see a lot of big play-by-play -play moments when they're clever 
when they sound clever and excited, people really like that. So Uber Shouts is great at that. You know, he's like casting the Timberwolves and he'll say, mm-hmm. we'll see if they can sink their claws into their opponents. And then that's how he throws her a break. And you're like, oh, yeah. Maybe Ooh, that yeah, was low-hanging fruit, but it was delivered Ooh, yeah. so well. Yeah, um, it was delivered with confidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's what's cool. That's what's, um, I guess, kind of sticks out in people's brains a lot of the time. But it has to do with both being kind of like a little clever, but then also having that ability to summarize things very well. Um, and yes, I think that's what you guys uh, have done as well in the past. Hell yeah. <laughs> trying to... <laughs> Trying to wrap up this you know, podcast uh, at some point. I do have one more of my questions, like I said. Oh, yeah. You, you, you asked me like several more questions. I'll need <laughs> to go to lunch at some point. But you know what? This is a lot of fun. I like talking about the cast and commentary days. I've been, I've been at home. I've been at home for two years, man. <laughs> yes, that's uh, that doesn't feel so great. Uh, I've been I've been very yeah. happy that we've been able to go back to live events, even if. Oh, yeah. Katowice was a little weird. <laughs> the whole, you know. Oh, thing. yeah. <laughs> so Jesus, yeah <laughs> so uh it's still kind of on the same topic though because again you brought up so many very like just human points you're talking about making people feel invited and mm-hmm. being, you know, seeing how they take certain things um i've always thrown back to you as the perfect example of someone who has a very good uh personality around uh fans not to bring this too much into like uh we're celebrities and you know no, we're, 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 we're certainly the two <laughs> biggest people here, for sure. Like. For sure. But I always, because I used to, I'm there's like a story I tell people for laughs where, um, again, I'm just not like this naturally like garious, outgoing person. So I just kind of expect normal human interactions to be short and yeah. sweet. And, you know, if we don't gel, we don't gel. But there was a time where I went out to the crowd and some guy went up to me and he's like, hey, I actually know your brother. I was a fireman with him. Uh, you know, oh, great awesome. work up there. And I was like, oh, thanks. That's really cool. What's your name? And then he said it. And I was like, oh, so, you know, my brother. And he's like, yeah. And then I was like, cool. And then I didn't yeah, know what else it. to do. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the end of the conversation, isn't it? And I thought it was because he was like, all right, well, I'm going to head out. And I was like, all right, see you later. But then, but then he's staring at you expectantly. And he's clear. His, his entire body language says, <laughs> it's still your turn to talk, Jessica. Yes. Like- <laughs> yes, he did that. But then he also told my brother that I was awkward as hell. <laughs> my brother nice. told me. Very so excellent. I thought that was extremely unfair because he didn't uphold his half of the social obligation. Oh, my God. The but bastard. at some point, I realized that that was kind of part of, of this lifestyle, if you will. Um. But I, I would always think of like, you know, who made me feel like it just wasn't like a fan celebrity interaction. It wasn't a chore for them or something like that. It was you. You know, you would always I, I witnessed you at parties, go up to people, sit down and you would maybe see that they kind of wanted to talk to you, but they didn't know how. And he'd be oh, yeah, like, hey, I, I'm I just fill it in. Yeah. Yeah. You just introduce yourself. And I was like, that's amazing. I want to be able to do that. Um, so anyways, thank you. <laughs> did you ever recognize at one point that this is something that you were kind of, um, uh, you know, obligated to do or did it just come naturally that you had, you know, a line of fans yeah, yeah, and you were yeah. like, I'm going to make every one of these people feel, you know, invited and, and welcome. Well, I, I think that, that, um, you know, y- okay, hold on, hold on. I'm trying to figure out how to condense this. I could talk about this forever. You know, I, I like I think that a lot um there's a lot of things that I'm very proud of that came from not necessarily the the right place. You know, like why did I get good at brood war? Oh, you beat yourself up a lot. 
You know, you need, you need to prove something to yourself. And then once you've gotten better, still need to prove yourself more, right? You keep pushing it, right? So I, I think that um, one sort of false lesson I learned as a kid, not because anyone sat me down and went, here's how to think about stuff, right? But a sort of false lesson I learned is that my needs are not as important as other people's needs. You know, I think this is something that a lot of people deal with, a lot of people experience, where if someone comes up to them and just says like, hey, can you help me move this weekend? And you've been working for two weeks straight without a break, and you were really looking forward to that weekend. A lot of people in a situation be like, oh, I mean, I, I kind of want to take a break. Oh, dude, come on. It'll be really fun. It'll be easy. Okay. You know, like that sort of experience. Um, you know, when, when you're a broadcaster and you're at like an event, this is literally the densest area of people who have consumed your content, who are opting in to be there, who want to talk to you. And, you know, w when I first started doing events, I sort of had this, this sense of, well, if someone wants to talk to me, I mean, I, I, I have to talk to them. These are the people that are literally putting food on my table. And um, on one hand, that's true. But on the other hand, I have to work in six hours. It's 3 a.m. Because the, the day went late, as it always did in the early days. And this person wants to talk to me at 3 a.m., so I, I do have to stay and talk until 4 a.m. And I think that, like, um, I, I had a really negative sensation around that, like, briefly, initially. Um, but then I just kind of hit a point where I was like, you, you just start talking to people, and you're, well, let me go out of order. Later on, I learned, you know what? I did have a lot of fun, like, almost always when I would stay and talk to people. But if I'm really tired, it's actually okay to say no sometimes. And just, just the awareness of that, even though 99% of the time I will stay, it's the fact that I feel like it's a choice that like depressurizes and deburdens me. But you know, when I was in that situation where I was like, well, I have to be here, I have to stay. Second question is, okay, well, if I have to stay, what would make this fun and interesting and pleasing and not, you know, doing 60 perfunctory signings in a row and then calling it quits for the day? You know, how do I actually have like 60 fun conversations? And so I actually found that for me, slowing down helped. Trying to hurry things along. Oh, hey, how are you doing? Okay, cool. Cool. Take care. Bye. Maybe that'll get me to bed 30 minutes sooner. And if I'm really tired, everything is related to me being able to go to sleep <laughs> at these events, right? Um, but if I just have the perspective, okay, how do I just enjoy this period of time? Sometimes it would actually take another 15 minutes later. But I would have actually felt good and felt invigorated and felt pleased. And I think that, like, um, I, I think the biggest thing that I think about when it comes to these communications is, like, okay, how do I put the onus on myself? How do I take the responsibility in the conversation? How do I, at all points in time, be in charge of the conversation, in a sense? If, if someone wants to say something to me, that's great. I'm not going to interrupt them. But if they stop and there's a gap, got to fill it in. Right. And when 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 you just start thinking of like, yeah, how do I just start communicating with and talking to people? Hey, making a comment based on the last thing they said. That's really great. Um, uh, rambling a lot about a lot of things. That's great. Asking people lots of questions, you know, like so someone would be like, oh, hey, I, I you know, I watched the 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 broadcast. I really enjoyed it. I'd be like, oh, dude, do you have a favorite player here? Okay, boom! Now we're suddenly talking about a player. Like, do you do, do you play much? Are you are you a Protoss player? Oh no, you're a Zerg player. What's what's made you betray the Zerg? 
and you know support Sase. You know, like what's going on there? Yeah, it's a nice OG name for y'all. Um, and and I find that those conversations are really fun and really nice. And again, I, I I feel a little weird about the fact that when I was younger, I felt forced to, but I still had good fun doing that. And then once I started to learn, it's actually okay to just not do it if you don't want to. And there's been times that I'm like, hey, I'd love to chat, but look, I gotta go to bed. You know, if you want, you can walk with me towards my hotel. But like, you know, then then <laughs> then I'm then I'm once once I hit this elevator, I'm saying goodbye, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. people are very reasonable and very understanding. So, um, but yeah, nowadays it's actually something I really look forward to. Because people are always talking about, don't listen to the haters. They're the, they're the vocal minority. You have to pay attention to the silent majority, which is like if someone punched you in the face. And it's like, well, just think about all the people that aren't punching you in the face. I'm like, oh, that'll <laughs> definitely help the bruise. Thank you so much. You know, it's, it's, it's terrible advice to just ignore it. Oh, don't let it get to you. You know, because it's kind of almost like saying, well, just don't be effective. Well, I'm telling you I'm affected. We'll just cut it out. Right. And I find that if if you stay and you talk to people, that's where you get to meet the vocal majority or to me, the, the non vocal majority is where this is where you actually get like there's 60 people there. You actually get 60 really nice, warm conversations that stick. So that's one of the reasons why I also like staying is it's just like. Finally, there's this place where I can actually get a type of communication you don't normally get if you just go on a Reddit thread or something like this. Yeah. That's a, it's good tips because, because really it was, you know, I was kind of wondering if you had an order of things because that's kind of what I adopted when I thought about like, what, what did day nine do that? You know, it was really nice. How did he, how did he get a <laughs> flow going? Um, you know, and, and to be, you know, to be clear, it wasn't just you. I also went to a strip club once and I watched strippers just converse with their clients. And I was like, damn, how My do gosh. they do that so naturally? It was a legitimate, like, study what's, point for me. Yeah, what's, what, what, <laughs> what are the key insights from stripper communication? Yeah, honestly, right? Because they even came up to us and they did their whole, you know, it's basically an act, right? They want you to pay for for a lap dance or whatever it is. Yeah. And they, they, I mean, one of the most important things that they made you feel like the most interesting person in the world. And that sounds sad. You're like, oh, these poor guys going to strip clubs want to have someone no, that, you know, tell that, them. That sounds important. like a fantastic exchange of services. That sounds yeah. amazing. Like, <laughs> well, like, that's also actually what you know people really like about anyone in conversation. You know, yeah. we're talking about a trade of, of 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 you know monetary value when they talk about strip clubs. But you know, as far as I guess emotions, you you want someone to think that you're interesting. It might be a little shocking at first if it's some you know person you met at Starbucks. But yeah, you know, if they're like, I think that's fascinating. Tell me more. You're kind of like. Oh, oh yeah well, sure maybe it's because i'm fascinating oh, <laughs> exactly. i like thinking of myself as fascinating yeah no yeah. i mean like gosh the, i i i that's like what social media is like i made this tweet this tweet is taking off you know <laughs> you feel cool like i i crafted this tweet and yeah no i i i think it's just kind of nice and fun to start connecting with someone because there's there's always the, there's always the bullshit you know that's just like Oh, how are you? Are you oh, and what do you do for work? Oh, God. You know, and oh, that's really interesting. I have a friend that does that for work. Oh, yeah. Like, no fucking buddy <laughs> at all cares about this, but we're all going through these motions. How do you get past that? You know, what, like, what do you like? What are your hobbies? What are your interests? Mm-hmm. And I, I find that, like, if you take any person that seems really shy and quiet and you know, doesn't really feel like talking that much, and then you just get them talking about a subject they're interested in. Oh, people are so interesting. They have so much interesting shit to say. Yeah. Because they, you get someone who's like an expert in like, I don't know, woodworking. And they've thought about like so much 
And then you just like, how do you build a table? Like, oh, well, you need these tools. And it's actually uh, easier than building a table is building this thing. All of a sudden, they're just like talking about something that I knew nothing about. And because they've reflected about it so much, they can produce these nice, clean articulations. And all of a sudden, I'm I, what, what turned into like just or started as a signing is turned into like a, a brief, interesting YouTube video, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's rad. It's what really feels great about um, actually talking with people. Because, again, growing up shy and, and very non-communicative. Communi- I'm not a communicator, uh, obviously. Uh, um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not that I don't think that there's good points, you know, and that I, I don't I never have any fun with with anyone. It's just one of those things yeah. where I couldn't really put into into thought how to navigate social like literally how to navigate social situations it's, right it's fucking impossible yeah. like literally i had to like memorize a bunch of shit try a bunch of different things <laughs> go to an improv class like learn lessons from that and fail at it for like some years like you know just meet people at events before like right around 2012 i'm charming as fuck <laughs> there it is yeah. yeah exactly it's it's super difficult and uh some people are i think absolutely naturally talented at it but uh it's obviously the people who I think who also struggled that are, you know, the best teachers as well. Like the draw the rest of the fucking hour for art yeah. is always my go-to where I'm like, yeah, yeah. Finding the, the most reference. talented person in the room is probably not going to be the best teacher. Finding the person who's good at what they do, but is, you know, maybe still struggling even probably learn a lot more. Yeah. I mean, um, cause I, I feel like a lot of this is just like where the rewards came from, right? If you like socialized and put yourself out there a little bit and got a really positive reinforcing experience from it. Oh, and I, I want to do that again. That felt kind of good. But I don't know, if you're in my shoes, you'd be like, I'm going to tell a joke or I want to tell a story. And then everyone makes fun of you and laughs at you. You're like, oh, I better never do that again. Right. (laughs) Talking is danger. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I've I've had that. I was like, well, there's no there's no getting good at it if you don't try. Right. Let's let me try this on broadcast. Oh, that was the worst. Yeah. Yeah, I should not have tried that on broadcast. Yeah. Um, and then why did she think that that was a good joke to make? It wasn't funny at all. You're like, fuck, I'm, look, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. I'm not, I'm, my goal is not to ruin the broadcast, okay? Like, God. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Uh, and for the Patreon question, or our final okay. official question of the evening. Here it comes. Uh, got one from uh, Barrett. So when you are looking at games you want to invest time into, how much of a factor is the potential of talent opportunities for that game? Oh, I'm pretty irresponsible in this regard. The answer is is kind of fucking zero, right? It's kind <laughs> of like, like I, I actually think that the achievement that I am most proud of with regards to my career is constantly focusing on what I actually want to do instead of doing some sort of, you know, oh, I have an idea. What if I became the 8,000th Fortnite broadcaster? Ooh. You know, like, it's just as simple as, am I interested in Fortnite? I think it's a great game. Just It's not that interesting to me personally to play. Boom, done. I don't, I don't care. And I think that um, when it comes, to, so when it comes to what do I want to make myself do, like on my stream and this sort of thing, I should, I should, I should take a big step back. The, the core bread and butter for me is the stream. Right. Just like, what am I broadcasting? What am I doing on my YouTube? And other things can be supplementary, but that's from like a financial income perspective. That's the big goal is to make sure that that's doing well. And, you know, frankly, for that reason, this is why I have sort of slowly veered away from doing a lot of commentary and hosting opportunities, because 
I mean, I'll get offered to do things like, hey, do you want to like take a week off streaming for a few hundred bucks for like 10 days away from streaming? No, no. I mean, literally it, it is like financially not worth it just considering that time. And if it's a game that I don't know very well, I want to learn that game. So that's going to be another you know huge chunk of time. Um, so, so the stream is always like the really important consideration. And then so, you know, secondary to that, when it comes to like talent opportunities or just other things like this, I would say it is a factor of consideration, but the only games that I'm going to be considering are ones that I'm actually personally interested in doing. So um, if I take, so let's take some examples like Magic the Gathering. I really like Magic the Gathering as a card game. Have I done some hosting work and some gig work for Wizards? Yes. And that's all there is to it. Yeah, sure. And so let's let's imagine that there were two card games that I liked equally. Magic and then some other new card game. Um, and let's say that I only had time to pick one. I would probably lean towards Magic because it has larger viewer base, larger player base, has some opportunities. But still the question is like these two things that I actually am interested in that I actually care about. Um, and I actually genuinely, genuinely, genuinely believe that if you're just trying to like chase views when it comes to your content, you're fucked. You're complete. You're, you're, you're going to be ruined. And, and obviously I'm speaking a little bit hyperbolically because for instance, if someone was like, Hey, Sean, I am an extremely famous person. And I want to do a Magic the Gathering show with you. I'd be like, yeah, sure, great. That seems good. Um, but it, 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 if the question were presented to me, am I interested in playing a game that I don't personally care that much about? Would I do that knowing that it could lead to a potential opportunity for work? Fuck no, man. Oh, my God. I would hate that. Like, oh, my God. Because I stream like 25, 30 hours a week. Spending 25, 30 hours a week playing a game that I find boring? I think any one of your patrons that, like, hears this answer, I would challenge you to pick a game that you think fucking sucks, get up, play it 15 hours on Saturday, go to bed, play it 15 hours on Sunday, and know that you need to do that every week for two years. No. Gross. I have no interest in doing that. Um, not that I would judge anyone who does. <laughs> but I mean, I, I also personally know of people that said, okay, I'm not interested in game X. I'm going to go do game Y because it's bigger. But because they weren't as interested in pursuing information about the teams and learning how to get better themselves or going to the Reddit and learning the structure and style of jokes and references. If you, if you lack those kinds of comments, then you, you kind of have a cap to how effective you can even be in that role. And if you have a cap to how effective you can be, what have we seen? We've seen people that transition from this game and they felt obligated to do this game and they kind of, there's this kind of sigh as they exit commentary entirely. Uh, and of course, there's also other people that have gone from one game to a second game and it, it's, it's terrific. It's just fantastic. You know, like I think Frodan has has been brilliant as an example to look at who did a lot of early StarCraft II commentary and then did a lot of Hearthstone and now does a lot of TFT. And I mean, I was watching Frodan stream the other day and Frodan is like literally, he was on hour like 11 of a TFT stream where he's just like, he's just playing. And it's like, oh yeah, great. This is someone who is choosing a game that he's personally interested in, not someone who's just 
oh, another 11 hour broadcast. Well, may as well. Cause yeah. I think that, um, especially in this kind of business, it, it you, you just can't check out and do the work. What you are selling is you not being checked out. And is you actually being actively engaged? You know, it's not like if I'm a plumber and I'm like, oh, I just, I'm in a bad mood today. I'm just going to fix stuff and be kind of gruff and, move on with the day. Like you can't be like, Oh, hello. It's from Starcraft again. Oh, it's another Zergers <laughs> Protoss. Wake me up when it hits the 10 minute mark, you know, like you can't do that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think the answer is not, not really. I'm going to give that a firm, not really. It's, it's definitely a decision though. I mean, you said you weren't going to judge anyone who does do it, but there's, there's a couple of episodes I'm thinking back to. I think Jason Kaplan put it pretty well that there's, you know, you have to decide what type of person you are, a person who's going to be, passionate about the thing like the the few mm-hmm. things that you do or you're going to be passionate about kind of the idea of broadcasting you're gonna be able to do a lot of things um so there's people who pick one or two things and there's people who are doing eight or nine things yeah and then yeah, frodan yeah. uh i know not only does he love the games that he does he also very he has he's one of the few commentators when i asked you have to be high level to be a commentator he said yes absolutely so he always tries to be you know the gm equivalent in whatever game that he does yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the reasons why he's excellent, right? Mm. Um, you know, in your comment about being, you know, good, just like passionate about broadcasting in general, like Rachel Quirico is someone I look up to maybe more than anyone in hosting because she's just incredible at navigating this extremely large range of different games as a host or working at conventions as a host or just, you know... <laughs> doing things related to Pokemon as a host. Um, and I, you know, like is Rachel GM in, you know, the games that she's playing? No, but she's just fucking so crisp when she's speaking and presenting. And, you know, I, I think that that's a really great, great phrase, but you gotta be passionate about the game or you gotta be passionate about, you know, doing broadcasting. Cause I mean, if someone is even slightly dialed in viewers tune out like immediately, and the directors tune out immediately. And everyone in the broadcast is like, oh, this is the guy who's there. And he's just kind of getting through things. All right, whatever. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, selling you know your passion is also another big point. Because and I, I do have to wrap up the podcast at some point. But, you know, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, let's get you know, the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> God. <laughs> we, you know, I, again, uh, I talked more about myself in this podcast than I ever have before, uh, other than what I did you know, of myself. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope it was edited. So you have like yourself talking to yourself, asking questions, <laughs> and laughing I at your own have. jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I should have. Uh, but, you know, again, one of my challenges is that I did feel passionate about StarCraft, but I could not vocalize it. I could not communicate that. So yeah, I think it's, you know, summing it up as you are selling your passion, uh, which in a way cheapens it, but I think, again, consolidates it kind of just a to think about it that's that is what you're doing you know so you're like are you passionate about the game yes well why don't you sound like it i'm not sure well, let's work on why you don't sound like it yeah um, it's obviously another part to the the job because some people you know they know how to fake how to be passionate and that's all well and good but then i think there's actually a lot of trouble in the starting commentators yeah where they just don't know how to show excitement yeah and i think it's it's also really hard to fake that sort of stuff because again if you if you don't have the knowledge all your jokes and you, and like the, how hard you laugh at a particular comment is going to sound wrong, and people just pick up on all that stuff so quickly. Yes, um, that's that's true. That is or true. or you can be like me and find generally most things pretty funny, 
<laughs> and people go, there's no way that's a real laugh. He's not actually finding things funny. I'm like, oh, no, actually, I hate to say it. I'm laughing alone <laughs> in this room all day. Dude, I feel like I recall some of those statements, and I was like, I don't know. I always thought he was legitimate. I mean, he just gave a very infectious laugh as well. So yeah, I always well, thought it was great. Also, in 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 defense of people that don't like commentators, I mean, I I, I know what I'm like. I I, I can. <laughs> I, that's probably really annoying if you want like a low energy, calm commentator sometimes. I'm not really that, you know, I have no qualms with someone being like, I am so sick of his commentary. No, that's fine. That's totally understandable. I right. mean, I, I think everyone is, gets tired of themselves at some point, too. So, you know, well, every so often I admit that I don't really know why people like me. So my commentary oh, yeah. is so. There's yeah, that. no, that's when someone's like, oh, you're uh, that that's something that I've actually had a lot of experience with where I where someone would be like, you did a great job. And in my head, I'm like, no, I fucking didn't. You know, like, I do not feel good about that at all. I'm grateful for your comments, but I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I had that recently where I was just like, I guess people seem to like it. I don't. OK, yeah. all right, I'll take it. But uh, I, I always refer back to, you know, no, no, I'm not going to blame someone for talking about, um, I don't know, uh, Denzel Washington in you know, a forum because, you know, Denzel Washington is not going to go look at that forum. So I think also a lot of oh, the yeah, feedback yeah. that we get on forums is not they aren't literally trying to get your attention and be like zombie grub, you know, slash you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's if the NFL discussion. If the NFL was like, hey, every sports bar where there's drunken dads on a Sunday, you'd be nice. No, don't be nice. <laughs> be fucking assholes. Have fun. Make fun of stuff. It is a sacred right to make fun of us. Like, yes. go for it, man. I just don't <laughs> yeah. think that Tom Brady needs a microphone in that sports bar, you know. Exactly. Jasper. All right. Setting her down. All right. Well, uh, that is going to be the end of the podcast, actually. We found out we found an endpoint. We've we did done it. it. Thank you very much for coming online. Like I said, it's gonna be a little while for this to, to actually release, but I assume that uh, you know, stream is gonna be happening all the time. Are there any plans in the near future to be going to any offline events? Um Hold on, hold on. Let me let me let me think about my schedule. Well, I mean, I'm doing the PC gaming show. Uh in what day is it today? Uh, what, 25th what, of time April. is a flat circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In a few weeks I'm doing a PC gaming show. So oh. if any of you if anyone want to tune into that and learn about the next top games in broadcast or uh, non broadcasting in PC gaming, tune in. That's there always a fun one to do every year. Sounds that way. I actually heard uh <laughs> we're talking about passion and broadcasting and inventions today i was listening to the the rock channel i suppose in the radio and this guy comes on and it's the introduction portion of the uh like the the dj broadcast and yeah. he's like you know so pax and this guy is supposed to be kind of a very friendly like regular joe like he's not selling you anything yeah, yeah. but he, you know i could absolutely tell that he was selling the script that he was handed because he was like pax east was happening in boston and there was amazing games there and <laughs> then he listed like them all in like order like all these popular games that he clearly didn't <laughs> care about at all 
Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, and you can like hear their tone is off. Like they don't know how to say Horizon Zero Dawn. They're like Horizon Zero Dawn. And you're like, well, that guy's never played a game in his life. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyways, I, yeah, I'm always looking forward to, to seeing you at, uh, at live events. I mean, I'm hoping that we can actually see each other in person. I am live so desperate so, for like a TwitchCon, a, a Pat, yeah. like some, something, a BlizzCon, where there's going to yes. be just people in the same area. I, I don't even know if BlizzCon's happening this year. I yeah, that's a discussion I've had where I think I think it's fizzled. I think they're just kind of like, well, no one's making a stink. Let's just kind of, you know, forget that it Mm. happened. Don't worry about it. There is no BlizzCon 2022. Definitely not that. I don't know if it's going to come back, though, is my question, because there's the online era. That's very understandable. You don't know what's going to happen in 2022. It's very understandable. But then uh, just as a whole Blizzard, I don't know what they're. I don't know what their intentions are. It's all yeah. up in the air. Well, well, some November, what we'll have to do is we'll have to um, get rooms at the Hilton and go to the Hilton lobby where the music is too loud and spend the entire night going, what? <laughs> what? Those will be the good old times. Uh, yes. And then you find a new hotel to move to, which inevitably gets overrun as well. And then... Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the good stuff. No, it's, yeah. it's a TwitchCon party. It's a Twitch only party. It's only going to be broadcasters. Don't worry. And then it just becomes becomes that city in World War Z where the zombies are like falling over the top of the wall. <laughs> like, like, we got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like run back to someone's hotel room, which again, still then at some point you're hanging out in someone's hotel room. It's like six of you. It's really nice. And it's like dun, 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 and the door opens up and there's someone, you know, two people that you fucking don't. And you get that like. All right, time to stop being Sean and become day nine again, you know? Like. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean that was that was some good old days though, right? Like there's there's the these little little factors that uh you know, going to Sweden for some of the events, I was like, this is good, you know, hanging out with my friends, love them, but you know, no players, no fans. Like, and there's there's some things missing. Uh help yeah. a drunk girl uh at the after party. And I was like, Ooh, there oh, is God. an element missing. That that feels yeah, like normal again. And uh yeah, the uh yeah, banging on the hotel door and being like, oh, do I have to put on the face? This is someone I know. I look forward to having that again. So good. One day. Oh, yeah. Soon. Hopefully. Soon. 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 The dream. The dream. Yep. All right. <clears throat> That's the end of episode 50, guys. So that is a, it's a long time here. Thank you again, Day9, for coming on. Yeah, and uh, thanks to everyone listening and or watching here. So remember, there is a Patreon, patreon.com slash zombiegrope, where you can get rewards such as asking questions and early access. Thank you, Shane, for co-producing and Barrett for helping out with the podcast as well. And the Patreons who go above and beyond, Nick, Vini, Steven, E.T., Ravi, and Cuddle Bunny. Thank you guys very much. And I look forward to seeing you guys on the other half of the 50s. I'm on 51 next. Bye. Bye, bye, bye.